Hey, science fans. One thing we don't get to talk about enough on this show is environmental concerns, ecology, resources, that sort of thing. I wish we we had more on, on this topic on the show. Fortunately, I found a new podcast that I believe you guys will enjoy called Waterline. Waterline podcast is everything related to water, how to make sustainable irrigation, can water bring peace, how do you uh, keep water clean and and safe and how much money does does our current water system cost in the US what changes can we make and how we use water i just listened to a fantastic episode called water in peace hydropolitics it was all about um, the many different conflicts over different regions of water we've drawn all of these arbitrary lines for our kind of political regions and one thing that we didn't really factor in when doing that was water sources so now there's all of these uncomfortable to say the least conflicts uh, where all of these areas overlap over water sources fantastic episode the waterline podcast is an initiative of israel new tech a part of the israeli ministry of economy and industry so check it out for everything you need to know about the economics political social behavioral technological and environmental aspects of water search for waterline podcast on itunes or in your android podcast app hello everybody and welcome to the here we are podcast this is episode two this is a bit of a bonus episode uh, we have Black Friday coming up here, and so I thought I would release this episode that I recorded back in October. We talked a lot about gift giving and the mistakes that people make when buying gifts for others, even though we mean well, of course. And so this should give you some tips, something to think about when you're out there on Black Friday, um, if you are a crazy enough person to take part in all that madness. And uh, it would also this uh, should also give you a bunch of uh, interesting um, uh, uh, conversation starters um, around the Thanksgiving table when you're hanging out with family, racking your brain for something interesting to talk about, something other than the weather. So uh, enjoy this episode. This was uh, my guess. This uh, this was recorded. I'm not releasing these in chronological order. So we do reference another episode, which you haven't heard yet, um, but you'll hear soon. And so my guest today is Assistant Professor of Marketing at the Cox School of Business at SMU, the lovely Morgan Ward. I met up with her in Dallas at her wonderful home, and we had a fantastic conversation about, like I said, gift giving. We talked about buying luxury goods and how um, luxury goods can make us feel needy we talked about those awkward teen years and and trying to be a cool kid and have all the main brand stuff uh and we also talked about um music a a bit of a departure from some of the other conversation but it was also um slightly related we talked a lot about um music and and why sometimes we like listening to the same old stuff and sometimes we are seeking variety and we tied some of that into shopping and everything else i think it's a fantastic episode i think you guys are going to be quite pleased please send me some feedback some questions um questions for morgan questions uh that you would like me to ask other scientists in the future any advice on what you would like this podcast to be what i can do more of or less of or any new ideas at all I'd love for you to get a conversation started at the herewearepodcast.com website. And please spread the word to all of your friends and your enemies about this show. And enjoy. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I'm Shane Moss. Today, I'm actually here with... um, I got another referral from my good friend, Peter McGraw, 
who was on uh, the show episodes ago. And um, and he recommended, saw that I was in Dallas and recommended that I come and talk to Morgan Ward, who is assistant professor at of marketing at SMU at the uh, Cox School of Business. And uh, Morgan, thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thank you for um, having me. Oh, so first off, this is uh, exciting because right before um, we hit record here, I was telling you that I used to have a podcast with oh, yeah. my ex-girlfriend. Um, and it was the whole podcast was me trying to sound sciencey and impress people with my knowledge and then her yelling at me for um, uh, for repeating the same crap over and over <laughs> again. And um, but and so so she is always sick of me talking about science stuff all the time. It were very old on her. So we're still very good friends. Her name's April Macy. She's an awesome comedian and everything. We talked the other day, and I told her that I was um, coming to interview you. Oh, wow. and there was some there was a bit of research that she was actually interested in. Oh. So you're maybe the first <laughs> <laughs> researcher to ever do anything that my <laughs> ex has ever been interested in uh, hearing about. And it was awesome, actually, because um, we had a laugh. It really uh, explained a lot about her life. I'm talking about the work about the um, uh, about the luxury brand, the, the publication. Um, oh, what was the clever Should title the devil of it? sell prop? Prada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I was telling her, could you talk a little bit about that, and then, um, yeah, I'll, I'll probably uh, intermix and tell you about her personality her and why she attached to this. <laughs> yeah. So that work, so that just got um, published recently, and the basic premise was that you know we go into upscale retailers or aspirational retailers and you know, we kind of want to be accepted by the crowd of who populates those stores. And periodically, and it happens quite frequently, really, everybody has a story about it, we feel rejected or condescended to in some way. And if I ask people at the outset what they would do if they felt condescended to in a luxury retailer, they tell me, oh, they would leave and they would go somewhere else. And, you know, I've been a very impoverished um, grad student and I studied luxury and I went into those stores and felt rejected and I did not leave. What I do is I would buy the stuff and wear it. And so I just <laughs> wanted to see about that. I was like, maybe I'm crazy or maybe people actually do this. And so that's what we really found. There so, were- so you found that actually rejecting people <laughs> is a good way to get people to want your product yeah. more <laughs> under what circumstances? So, that it works the best when you aspire to belong. So if you feel like you kind of belong there already or you have the means to own these things, then it's not quite as effective. But if you feel like you wish you belong there, that's when a little condescension goes a long way and people will actually be more willing to pay, more willing to display the product and wear it if they were condescended to or or kind of threatened in some way socially prior to purchase (laughs) so there's this (laughs) there's this um uh, i don't know if you call it a fight that that i used to have her and we give each other a hard time we are both comics yeah and one of uh, any listeners to my old podcast will be familiar with this story but um so a good example of, of this it's maybe not the best example for your work but it's suitable um, she was in um, South Korea uh, doing some stand-up and, and um, doing like uh, shows for the troops and stuff like that, right? And she went into, or where was she? I think it was South, let's just say South Korea. And <laughs> she went into some um, a designer store or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then she went to get um, this dress that was like, a medium or whatever and and the owner was like you're no medium <laughs> because she's yeah, american she's and not, not asian. A, an asian tiny little asian person totally. so of course and she's like a beautiful she's a model but you know she's a gorgeous girl and still can't uh, you know needs to yeah. uh, have this idea of herself 
And so what happened next is like the craziest thing I've ever heard of. And I'm like, you can't tell people this story. This isn't how you're supposed to behave. So then she started like fighting with this guy. No, I am a medium. And he's trying to pull this dress. And they're in a foreign country. Oh my God. She's with friends. They're all trying to calm her down. And, um, and, and so I, uh, I always wondered how, because to me, I'm like, well, I guess she's just crazy. Um, but now reading your research, this isn't, I mean, that's maybe an extreme example, but this isn't an uncommon no. feeling for people to have. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how, uh, how sort of far reaching it is. Um, I think there's two different instances in which Oprah felt rejected. And this is a woman who makes more than a, or has more than a billion dollars. And, you know, twice, once at an Hermes store and once um, at another store called Trois Pommes, she felt condescended to and rejected, made this huge sort of like social comment about it. I don't know if you saw that. About I, how she, I heard a little bit about it. And that lady still wears Hermes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's amazing. Yeah. So it's it's really about aspiring and not, you know, and not really feeling accepted yet. And then that condescension kind of, I don't know, it sort of fortifies our desire for us to own these products, you know, instead of, instead of making us run for the hills. So are, are these, are there people that are like more prone to this particular um, priming? Because um, again, my ex, she <laughs> was of, of all the women I've, uh, Dated or been around. she she is like by far she's in the top one percent of like uh, of wearing fancy things and like <laughs> caring a lot about designer stuff yeah. like way more than your average person right and um, at the same time she has like her whole act is about feeling rejected in high school <laughs> and you know feeling like a loser and all of this so do you uh, do you find that it's people with uh, life history like that that tend to flock more toward Mm, so i think that what you're saying probably makes sense that we buy luxury products in order to send out the signal that we're worthy we're wealthy we have certain cultural capital um and and so if you have always struggled with those issues luxury is probably going to be a little more important to you um well, she was from like a very poor family exactly. and everything too, so it was a big hang up for her. And um, yeah, do you think that we're like in a way we're kind of just trying to prove things to ourselves yeah. a lot, right? And that and right. we sometimes get our sense of self worth off of what we can. Oh, I can afford to have this. That is right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're sending some signals externally, but you're sending some signals to yourself and internal. Um, internal signaling is certainly part of luxury product buying. Um, also in general and kind of a more broad way, women are much more likely to have these responses than men. We get this response with men and we still, we still find the effect, but the effect is much stronger in females. And so most of our studies were with female subjects. Men tend to have this kind of like, I don't know, go to hell response. They're more likely to have a more sort of angry response than women. Women are sort of designed to affiliate. And so we, we tend to do more of this kind of responsive affiliation after a rejection. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So you notice a big gender difference. Do you think it's just because what guys being more competitive or something? Or? I think women tend to function by and gain power by having social support mm. and men aren't necessarily um men don't really they're I spend power. a lot of time alone in my hotel room <laughs> right. and i absolutely love it <laughs> and you're like fine i'm with totally it. cool with it yeah so i think for women getting rejected from an important social um in group is much more threatening and they do more to regain entree into that social in group basically I mean, I, I I remember caring so much when I was like 14 yeah. or something like, <laughs> I, well, that was just in general, just grasping at anything I could possibly <laughs> totally. do to get someone to like me, you know, <laughs> and thinking, you know, especially you look back now, it's like, oh, I have plenty of good friends, yeah. but it was like never, 
if you weren't in like the super extra yeah. cool uh, group, <laughs> you know, this is something that everyone goes through. But it's interesting that that those years stick out so much too. But that that's the one time I remember like, oh, if you had a Tommy Hilfiger uh, shirt, you yes. were. I, I, I'm thinking of I I had like a pair of Jabos. Yes, remember those? Yes, with the, all the pleats. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> those were very important. They were so important. <laughs> I had the same. I had a boyfriend with the same. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> very important. <laughs> very important products. And actually, I think age is is probably a big determinant. You know, because when you're young, you have you don't feel stability in your identity yet Mm. and so you're still aspiring towards a lot of a lot of stuff and so i think you know i worked for abercrombie and fitch for a long time and we noticed that younger kids liked large logos where older people didn't feel like they needed to send that strong a signal and you know our lay theory was essentially that younger kids just weren't as confident in who they were and so those large logos those strong signals help them feel the confidence that they didn't necessarily feel internally uh, so i look at teenagers <laughs> and i just feel so sad for them it's like, so oh, hard it's, it's so- such a confusing time <laughs> oh my god i know <laughs> and looking back like i really did i th- i thought i had so much of life figured out and yeah. everything too how how uh oh, i just it uh, we should get off this topic because I'm just going to feel worse and worse about myself. Um, so you were, uh, it's interesting talking um, about uh, the cues being more subtle and, and with a lot of these high-end designers. The, the, it's, I mean, I have a Prada shirt. It's mm-hmm. the nicest shirt I've ever owned. Um, you know, my uh, my lovely ex got it for me and everything and, and she... Uh, I was very uncomfortable. She really, she really um, spiffed me up yeah, a lot. She really and, uh, did a lot. <laughs> I, uh, I wasn't very comfortable with it for uh, in the beginning, and then I got more used to it. Uh, it was uh, she was messing with my self identity, yeah. <laughs> and um, but anyway, this one Prada shirt that I still have it's still the nicest shirt that I have, yeah. and it's like my good luck shirt. I always wear it on shows and stuff. But it doesn't say Prada anywhere on right. it. It says the labels on the inside, yep. and you would you would think with uh, classic the idea of um, conspicuous consumption, like on a on a base level, you mm-hmm. would think I would want to, people to know that I I was able to afford this right. Prada. Well, I mean, actually, I have a piece of research on that, and what we find is that it's sort of still contingent on who you view yourself as and who you view yourself as signaling to. And so if you are signaling to other people, if you're signaling to the masses, you want a strong, large logo. But if you're signaling to other people who have that certain cultural capital of knowing the other factors that make a Prada shirt a Prada shirt, you're going to be less likely to want to signal that logo. I think there's probably something else going on as well, which is that at a certain point, we're more interested in telling people who we are with the product versus um, letting the product define us as as sort of an extension of the brand. Mm. So I think as you get older, you're more comfortable with expressing self. And so you don't want to sort of superimpose a big brand on top of who you are because it's distracting. Right. But at the same time, why spend $50,000 for a handbag that no one's going to know you spent $50,000? Some people will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those so, other in-group people know. Right. And and so so like these connoisseurs of fashion and right. these people that, uh, you know, that's your niche, the thing that you care about or whatever. Yep. So, so much like, um, uh, you know, wine or anything yeah. else that you want to signal that you know a lot about this and so and then you focus on more subtle yes um, more subtle signal describe. yeah I think lately I've decided that I, so I think it happens in all different domains I think music is an interesting one but so is language and I've noticed that people who are signaling kind of music knowledge have a tendency to say that they liked an artist's first album the best it's like it's like a little 
thing where you're like, I I just like the first album the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's very it's very subtle, but um, but I think there's other ways we signal these things when it's not luxury. You can kind of you know the language or the way you use uh, language around something, the things you say about it, the particular attributes you talk about. You can do it without buying anything at all. That's um, that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> Because now I'm like, well, wait a second. I say that. I think, I, I'm not a big music connoisseur, Just but like, first album. I'm thinking like Weezer. Yeah, I like the first album the best. It, it might also be that the first album was the best. Maybe the first it album could was be. the best. They still had the passion. Weezer was still in the garage That's doing right. their own thing. Um, <laughs> I guess it's true. There's a variety of factors, and then you get success, and then it all, and, and then things change, and That's people right. go, "I liked when Shane Moss was telling drinking jokes and That's not right. not trying to cram weird science facts into his stand-up Dating. act." Yeah, yeah. Um, so, oh, and and speaking of music, you do some interesting. I wanted to ask you about mm. this because I've been listening to more music than ever just recently because i've just been i usually fly to all of my gigs and um just recently for doing this podcast and everything i i did for two months i'm traveling around everywhere and so i'm spending a lot of time in my car and when the audiobook is putting me to sleep Mm -hmm. i'll turn on music for a little while and i've i've noticed it i wanted to talk a little bit about um that uh the publication that you sent me because Mm -hmm. i noticed something that i i think nicely explained something that i noticed about myself but if you could um just set up the the idea so essentially that idea and this is something that we came up with when i was a first year grad student so it's not um research that i ended up doing a lot more with but what we noticed is that we tend to pick songs that we are familiar with when we have um, a bunch of options even though people claim that they want more novelty we tend to go to what's familiar anyway and so we started measuring that and fooling around with it and we find that even above and beyond the point where we say we're satiated by particular music we will still pick it over new music when we are in certain conditions so when we're doing work or when we don't want to be distracted or something because Mm. We've already processed it. It's easy to listen to without being distracted and sort of um, and sort of taken out of whatever we're doing. And and we found that we what people feel is that when they are exposed to something, they think that they like it more. When actually, it's just easier to process because they've already been exposed to it. And that's a very old kind of finding it's not we didn't invent that idea that's part of the mere exposure effect have you um have you heard the story of heya um by outcast it's uh it's kind of an interesting story so so are you familiar with the song yeah yeah so um so apparently um and this is in a i think i'm getting this information out of a book called the power of habit um might be wrong there but i'm pretty sure that was the book um so uh apparently they've built some computer that can you can run a new song through and it has whatever algorithms I don't I don't know anything about music I don't know what it's determining and picking yeah, up yeah. on and I I wouldn't I've never studied music <laughs> theory or anything um so anyhow it'll just go it, it'll predict the likelihood that this song will be a hit mm. um and so so they run Heya through this computer, and it's just like a hundred percent. This is the best song <laughs> that's ever happening. been made. This is going to be an epic, enormous hit. And uh, and and then what they found, they started playing it in um, radio stations in Atlanta, I believe, is where Outcast is from, and um, people hated it did they they absolutely hated it for a really long time mm. and the idea was is that it was so different yeah than any there was no place for it it was too different for the rock stations it was too different for the rap stations yeah. and um and and there were 
And I don't know why they didn't just give up at this point and be like, well, I guess the computer was wrong. But they were so, just people believed in this song <laughs> so much that they, they, so what they ultimately ended up doing was figuring out ways when they'd play Hey Ya, first they'd play a song that was like in between that and what would regularly be played on the radio. And then afterwards they would do the same where it was like kind of this mix of, of average rap and something oh, in between. Okay. Yeah. And so it was like a little more of a gradual. They, so they made it more familiar okay. to people and then played it over and over and over and over again. Oh, wow. And then it became familiar and then it just blew up blew and up. became this epic song. But it was like six months of just failure. Yeah, that I totally believe. And I think some bands actually make their... Um, name basically by recreating the same song over and over you know and so I think there's a a way that people are or something that people are expecting from certain bands like I mean you could argue U2 kind of does this you hear a U2 song and it's so clearly U2 or um, Creed or something like that right and and they're kind of recreating the same song over and over can I, shall I get my dog to stop doing that? Um, it doesn't matter. It I don't. Doesn't? I don't think that. Um, I don't think he's coming through. Okay, just want to um, make sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't hear him. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I do that a little bit with my comedy as well. When I have like a um, interesting new like science idea that might be foreign to people, and I'm trying to figure out how to turn it into a dick joke ultimately it's like <laughs> what, what i'm trying to do everything should is, go in that yeah way. yeah exactly <laughs> it's the easiest clearest way to so so here's this new novel concept and let's tie it let's into something it familiar that we can all understand um so i i feel like i do a lot of that in in my act um so so do you think that um uh in much the same way that um, these fashion um, connoisseurs are getting more, um, looking for more subtle cues. Do you think that people that are listening to a lot of music then are maybe seeking out variety a bit more? I do. I think people who are experts can tolerate more novelty in general. So if you're... Like Bjork or something. Yeah, like exactly. Those people... So I think what the what the issue is when you are um, not an expert, you're sort of a novice listener. You're no, you're a low music listener. I would probably put myself in that category. It's you you don't want to spend the time processing and learning. And actually, music can be really aversive sometimes when it's too different. You know, you don't even understand how to um, to understand it, or you don't even understand how to listen to it yet. You, know, you don't know what you like about it. It's hard to process. And so I think people who are experts tend to like that difference because they, they can integrate it into their web of knowledge, essentially. Yeah, I was just listening to a podcast on John Luther Adams, who is a composer, and he talked about how, and he, you know, so he's an expert. And he said, as a kid or as a emerging composer he would listen to music and the more aversive it was the more hard it was to process the more he would listen to it to try to understand it but that's that's really like it takes a lot of cognitive processing and most of us just don't want to do that we're cognitive misers and we just want to lay around and yeah. like watch tv <laughs> we don't want to spend that kind of resource those resources on figuring it out yes yeah, i mean it's interesting the idea of um how the brain kind of sorts out what's important yeah. to this. And I mean, you bring up TV and that's like an easy one where, where they, they have all of these um, high emotional triggers oh. uh, built <laughs> in that suck people in. And there's like a part of your brain that isn't distinguishing really between, uh, you know, this uh, reality and, and this fictional uh, thing. I mean, you're not processing that you're looking at a bunch of pixels um, yeah, you, you know, just get engaged to you lose yourself in it. And all of a sudden it's like, well, of course, on that base level, your brain would care way more about getting away from that dinosaur that's <laughs> running after everyone on the t on the screen. Right. Or whatever. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, I don't, I forget where I was going. That, <laughs> well, I think television is a really another, it's a really like, usable example of a place where they create a show and then they create shows that are similar to it. I mean, how many emergency room or law shows have we all watched? And we understand the format and the format feels familiar and it's just enough different that it's interesting, but it's not so different that we're watching a completely new idea and we have to sort of, um, understand that new idea or even something like the voice which is something I watch quite a bit you know the voice is just the child of um, you know American Idol and I think the reason that we like those kind of shows is we already understand how to watch them so those kind of things work for consumers well it's kind of the the beauty of like Pandora, oh, Pandora as well exactly. where it's just like um, yeah. You, you know, you're listening to a Beatles station yeah. and it's playing like Elton John and Queen right. or something. And those are very different yeah, yeah. bands. But there's like enough of whatever <laughs> the whatever algorithms they're putting together. Yeah. There's uh, there's enough connections there with obviously time period and everything else. But it's interesting that it's still this is it, it's almost like um I, I wonder if some of this stuff in YouTube and stuff like that, where it's like you're clicking on a thing, you might also like this yeah. different thing. I wonder if it is, in a way, opening people up a little more. And, a little. And expo- <laughs> expose it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's uh, my my hopeful, because I think like something like TV is a big waste of time for mm-hmm. much of our lives, and it's extremely addictive. And Yeah, yeah. Um, but... <laughs> I think that at the same, like, I, I think that um, for smart people, TV is a bad thing to be spending a lot of time watching. But I think that there's a lot of, um, I think if you're in like a small town and you don't, you wouldn't normally be exposed to much more than whatever the farmers around right. you have to say about life. And now you're, you get to watch like Breaking Bad or some yeah. genius show and you actually do have to raise your intelligence to appreciate this great tv so in some regards i wonder if some of this stuff like pandora and and that it is actually getting people to open up yeah. a little more yeah by degrees and it's not sort of pushing you all the way out but it's sort of oh here's and something that's related but a little different yeah. so maybe in some ways people are um, stretching uh, so so what I had noticed and why I brought it up too was so I've been driving and I've been listening to oh. way more music than than um, normal so normally it's like I like Pink Floyd I like like a little Beethoven from time to time and then I always have like a new band like I like the White Stripes and then I have this um, AWOL Nation station I have like these four go-tos <laughs> usually when I'm just at home because I only listen to music like once a week or right. for a short amount of time. But since I've been driving, I found that I never go to no. like these these <laughs> top stations that are normally like my favorites. Yeah. Now I'm finding out all sorts of uh, weird stuff and I'm trying to listen to this, some neutral milk hotel or something like that. <laughs> and, um, Lyrics Born is another one that I got into recently. Oh, wow. but, but it's amazing that, uh, it, you know, it, it, that you just naturally start striving for um, diversity yeah. after a while. I think that's true. Plus, when you're driving, you don't have to be that uh, focused. So you may actually be looking for something. We have a, seem to have a natural set point at which we want input in our mind, in our brains, essentially. And so. When we're doing some low-level task, we are willing to do something else simultaneously that is engaging. Mm. When we're doing a more thought-provoking task, we want the background music to be less engaging. That's, so that might be part of it too. You know what's interesting about that, and this might be uh, we might be about to go off the deep end <laughs> a little bit here, but um, so uh, I, I was oh shoot. Um, I'm gonna to need to edit this. What were we just talking about? I just lost low my level task. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, oh, I, so I was reading about things like um, when when people go blind or lose their hearing or something like that, 
they start sometimes like there's this Charles Bonnet syndrome where where blind people will start hallucinating. Oh wow! Um, uh, things and and basically what they find and this is like this happens in you can go in a sensory deprivation tank and you'll start hallucinating. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, because what they find is once you stop and you there's something called a prisoner sim- cinema right. as well. They find people in isolation will uh, hallucinate as well, and it's this inactivity kind of starts sparking this hey let's i don't know if it's like firing up if, if you have your car in storage for a few months you still want to fire <laughs> it up a couple yeah uh, every couple of weeks to make sure it's still working and i sometimes wonder if that's what's going on with like creativity sometimes mm-hmm. when i'm driving because i write so many great jokes and really creative and weird connections when i'm driving yeah. And I think a lot of that's just about doing this just completely mindless task. Yeah. You don't get to use your brain for like <laughs> sometimes I'm, I have a 10 hour drive. Hours. Yeah. You're looking to engage with something. Yeah. There's just this research out and it, it kind of came out in CNN and people were talking about it that um, we are so desperate for engagement that we, you know, when people were left in a room with an electric shock, they would and <laughs> you tell them like it's going to shock you. And they're like, <laughs> you know, they actually shock themselves. I would be shocking myself. Like, uh, I know that about myself too. That's so embarrassing. I'd so absolutely be shocking you would myself. Sho- I mean, but what, people do it. It's like, well, Just there's not much else going on. Other than shock myself. That's, it. That's amazing. So. That is some sort of metaphor for uh, life. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, well, that's incredible. So, uh, the, I'm not sure when exactly I'm going to release this, like I said, but the, um, right now I'm recording this in October. The holidays are coming up. I think I'm going to try to release this around uh, the holiday yeah. time. Um, you do a bit of research on gift giving. Yeah. So that's my dissertation was on gift giving and I have, um, you know, a few papers about gift giving and how, and the nature of it. Um, I look at it mostly from the perspective that we're trying to offer something about ourselves to somebody else, but it's under the guise of being really altruistic and not pretending, but um, with the intention of making the other person feel like we think they're special. (laughs) But like most things, it's really about self. Right. So people are buying things that they actually want. Is that the... So we are buying things that we hope will signal something about either us or the nature of the relationship to the recipient. And so, yeah. So, so one of the big findings we have is that if you were to create a gift registry, for instance, like um, something for a wedding or a holiday. I have an Amazon like gift list thing. (laughs) And you're kind of thinking, oh, I spent all this time looking for stuff. And this actually came out of my own wedding um experience and you know you go through this huge task of registering and trying to decipher what you actually want for your house and blah blah blah. and then all of a sudden the people who are closest to you are like what should i give you for your wedding you're like how about that stuff that i told you about (laughs) (laughs) that took me hours to create and your close friends and family basically want to buy you something else because it's really about what they want to say to you and not about what the most altruistic gift would be something that I picked for myself. Ah. So that's kind of where the insight was, was that, you know, we're not really doing buying gifts to necessarily please the other person. We're trying to say something to them about ourselves and the nature of our relationship with them. Hmm. Yeah, well, I'm an incredible asshole. <laughs> I like, People think it's I'm, prescriptive. I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> I, have you done it? I mean, I've done yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I, I just like I'm thinking of all the times that I've like got someone a book or something <laughs> like that that I was like. We talked about this one time, and it's it. really interesting. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're not a reader. Now I just gave them a stupid book report uh. that they have to do, uh, so that the next time they yes. see me, they can. And uh, yeah, I have again. My my ex would have a lot to say on <laughs> on this with the gifts that I 
I uh, got. I think I got one time. This was uh, first Christmas. I got lots of other stuff for her, <laughs> but one of the things Just that saying. I got that I got a hard time for, like forever, was um, it was based off of what I thought was a good idea. We had when we first started connecting, we went and we did like uh, we went through Yosemite, okay, and um, we went on a little hike, and we were talking about how nice it would be if you had like binoculars to see some <laughs> of the wildlife. So I got her a pair of binoculars for Christmas. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing you can uh, get a woman oh, get, wow, come yeah. to find out. And uh, <laughs> no, I have dumber, but that's it's, <laughs> it's not <bad>. great. <laughs> no, it's pretty awful. And so that was, and then there were just this thing that was around the house that she would just yeah. use to mock me Be and like, my dumb choices. <laughs> yeah. No, I have, yeah, well, I have a, a story that my husband Jeff is not going to be super pleased that he, <laughs> he's the center of it, but. I guess six weeks after I had my first baby, I was complaining about being fat, and he got me workout clothes for my thirty-fifth birthday. Ah, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, I. I've gotten like exercise things for no. girls. Or, I know it's. Uh, I'm, I was, I'm telling you, I'm a dumb, horrible person. You know, they said he said the thing that you probably think, which is like, well, you said you wanted to get thinner, like. Mm. Yeah, I I got one um, recently. It was like we we were talking about going and doing boxing classes together. Uh, And it wasn't about like her wanting to be thinner or anything. It was just like, here's a fun thing we can do together. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought it was going to be. And then she took it as like, you're calling me fat. (laughs) Which, I mean... Uh, uh, sorry, but in in fairness, it is um, it's hard to say anything without it <laughs> sounding like uh, I'm calling uh, you fat. If you're my girlfriend, of a, apparently. That, apparently, every other word out of my mouth of is just calling you fat in a various in some different way that I'm completely unaware of. <laughs> exactly. That's all we hear is you're fat. Basically. <laughs> but yeah, that's like that's kind of the things that happen to people is they really hard to predict and actually there's some the nice research about um people who are making decisions for their spouse versus for someone they don't know and it turns out that they're better at making decisions for someone they don't know than their spouse because when we make decisions for our spouse we're more likely to basically just go with what we want (laughs) yeah 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 so they the decisions are only good when the spouse and yourself have aligned preferences so it's really hard. It's hard to do perspective perspective taking. And it's easier with a stranger because you're like just looking at a registry. Yeah, you're less yeah. engaged in it and you have less of an agenda for what the person thinks of you, essentially. Ah. Yeah. So you're making a more objective decision. decision. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of funny that. And I say it in my paper that, you know, the great paradox or the irony of all this is that you're probably more likely to hit the, you know, nail on the head when it's somebody that you don't know as well <laughs> because you just go with what they want. Right. Hmm. Um, so how do you how do you recommend um, gift giving to someone that you are close <laughs> to? Like what how do you try to separate yourself and just make notes of what they actually what said they, they actually want that's what <laughs> yeah. i try to do and i've so reckon- it's not the thought <laughs> that not, counts not the thought it's oh, not the thought what? <laughs> yep it's not the thought actually you know economists argue that the most altruistic gift would be cash and we find that very distasteful because mm. or one guy uh said what if we just gave cash and then we wrote in the card what we thought it would be nice for the person to have? So you have the thought, (laughs) but the cash is the most fungible, you know, you can use spend it on anything. It's the most altruistic, but we have an agenda about the way people see us as, as you know, gifts are a part of ourselves. And so it's hard not to have that agenda when you're giving to somebody that you really care about. Mm. There's some cultures that are more willing to give cash, like, Indians, uh, Jews, um, those cultures tend to be more willing to give cash for certain holidays. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, my husband bought my engagement ring with his bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah money. Really? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. He just had it stored away? 
for didn't use it i guess <laughs> oh that's so romantic, yeah, it's it, it romantic. Just, when, he, when he became a man he just stuck all that money away <laughs> exactly for a special lady <laughs> yeah <laughs> how long have you guys been married uh six years six years now and you have your second child on, on the way, way. <laughs> um january january right? yep um and your young uh, your child is three i forgot son. the existing one yes the, existing <laughs> the one. one that's in the world is three <laughs> and then i'll have this other daughter <laughs> um so uh, how how long first off how long were you guys um together before you got married five years five years so this so uh, five years that's about the longest relationship that i've had i've had like uh a th- two threes and a five <laughs> and um it, do you feel like gift giving changes as um because i i always felt like in the beginning it's like ah you're spending like so much money to <laughs> impress this person and it's just like this isn't sustainable and then for a long time you're trying to top that last the last thing one that you did and then it just gets out of hand at a certain point once you're married does that go away uh, <laughs> well i think that once you're married you know i've watched some married people and i do think gifting evolves and i think that um you know he was probably the world's worst gift giver so i have a lay theory about this which i haven't tested which is um jeff happens to be very low in materialism so he just doesn't care about stuff. And I like stuff. I mean, obviously I got a PhD in buying stuff. So it really matters to me what stuff what stuff people use and what people are what stuff people are associated with. And he just doesn't So you decorated your home is, <laughs> is what you're saying. Yeah, like this stuff means something to me. It doesn't right. mean that much to him. And so I think one thing for him is that he just doesn't really associate me with things. And so when he goes into a store, he doesn't really know what I would like because that's not what's important to him about me. Whereas I know all sorts of things about people and their preferences and that helps me understand them. And so I think that's one sort of stumbling block for him is he just is like, that's not how I think of you anyway as as attached to some product. So I think that's one thing. Yes, he's gotten better, but mostly through painful trial and error, like things like that one exercise interaction we yeah, had. Yeah. <laughs> so now he just resorts to things like he knows categories that would be OK and he just buys things from those categories. And that's what I think men tend to do is they like hit it once and they're like, this is just going to this is what I'm going to do every single time. Uh, well, it's so <laughs> hard. It's like one of the most nerve wracking things. And I, I like I'm the worst. I'm the worst at picking out gifts for women. But maybe it I'm means you always just embarrassed. <laughs> maybe it means what? Maybe it means you just don't like maybe you can. I would position it as well. You and your products aren't the most important thing. I care about you, not the right. things you have. Yeah, and that's true. But it's also like, you know, if I wanted to, um, you know, my girlfriend might want a fancy dress or something. But yeah. well, I'm screwed trying to pick out something. Oh fancy yeah, that dress for that's just a you know I'm gonna get the wrong size and be an asshole, and then, <laughs> or, or you know some color that's not her color. You know, it's a bunch of stuff I don't understand. And then and and trying to guess at any of that is. It's a very it's difficult process. <laughs> You're in gift card territory, I think. <laughs> <laughs> gift cards yeah. is the advice that you're giving me? Oh, no. So yeah. I'm doomed? So there's just no help, hope for me at all is I what you're go, telling me. I think gift cards are a compromise. They're like <laughs> money with a small thought. Okay. Wow. I so I'm just a hopeless case. Is, yeah. is what I'm well. hearing. All right. Fair enough. I'll take it. Um, uh, quickly before, um, or not quickly. You can take your time. Um, before we start wrapping up in a bit, what is the charity of the week? The Vogel Alcove, and that's here in Dallas. Um, should I? Yeah. Talk about what they do. So the Vogel Alcove is really kind of an amazing charity. What they do is they provide um, a place for children to come whose mothers are uh, homeless or and, you know, the mother and the child are homeless. 
And so when the mother has to go to work, she needs a place to put her child who's between six months and five years of age. And so they do that child care and, um, and schooling for free for these women. And it's pretty amazing. So, cause a lot of those kids don't have a stable place to stay at night and are getting their meals at, um, you know, homeless shelters. And this is a consistent place where they can feel safe and loved and cared for. So it's a, it's a really amazing charity and it's here in Dallas. Yeah, it's homeless children. That's you can't as do. sad as, as, uh, as, as things could be. I can't, I can't think of a better, much better charity than sad homeless children. They yeah. super need your help. So go and donate. And if you're in the Dallas area, you can uh, find out lots of ways to volunteer and participate. Um, and then I was, well, I have a few things that I want to talk yeah. about. Um. As I'm thinking of Pandora and gift giving um, and Uh, tying these things together, um, well, now with things like, you know, Amazon and, well, just Google shopping or Mm -hmm. any online shopping nowadays is like, if you like this, you'll also like that. And it's, uh, it's it's a great way to kind of tie in that same, you know, get people to... Uh, mm. uh, to want novelty a little bit more it's it's tied to this other thing that they liked you know you like uh, this portable bluetooth speaker maybe be interested in a home theater right. system and uh, and then you go well yeah I guess I would have <laughs> thought about that before but I see but the now. connection that is the, <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know it's just it makes me um think i suppose it's always been a thing of people wanting more um but what a clever way of getting people to buy a whole bunch of crap yeah that that they don't need and a lot of the same stuff too right amazon's genius about it you know they they essentially figure out people who have bought this excuse me have also bought these other things or also looked at these other things so they can create a way of you know, they basically create um, like uh, a group that looks identical to you. So they they predict your preferences based on people who have had similar preferences and who have they have tracked through their system in the in the past. But they do it in a very complex, you know, high level way. And so they can predict your preferences before you even know them. And I think people get kind of creeped out by marketing in the sense that we don't want to always be marketed to, but when you're offered stuff that you didn't even know you wanted, but you actually do want, it's the way that marketing can actually simplify the world for you at some level. Mm. On the other hand, to your point, it also expands what we want all the time, right? Or expands what we're at least willing to consider buying all the time. I mean, just uh, something that I um, purchased probably the most is books on Amazon. Right. And I probably do, I probably read one out of four books that I <laughs> end up buying too. on Amazon Ugh. because it's like I see something that's similar like, oh, that's intriguing. <laughs> that's and good. But it's and then I forget how long it takes to read a book and <laughs> actually uh, <laughs> read one of these. I know. <laughs> um, I forgot to turn my cell phone off. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm a real professional. Um <laughs> So how have you how have you used your research to how how have you kind of used what you've learned through your research um, to change like decision making and stuff in your own life? I think you know I think that people think my gift giving research is the most prescriptive in the sense that you know my mom will even say she's going to a wedding and she'll be like oh I should I should buy off the registry, right? So they think that it that I'm making some social judgment about how they're buying gifts. I tend to, I have changed the way I buy gifts. I do try to spend more time thinking about what the person wants versus what I want them to have. And so I think I'm less paternalistic in that way. Um, in terms of the luxury research, you know, I started out doing luxury research and I saw an immediate uptick in my own personal consumption of luxury, but I've hit an inflection point and now it's down, it's decreasing again. 
And <clears throat> I think part of that is because as I investigate it more, I realize it's more about um, me signaling to other people and it's sort of signaling insecurity in me, I guess, you know, this like desire to be something or be looked upon as something. And so that, you know, maybe I'm not or maybe I hope to be. And so I think it's changed my desire for the luxury products because I'm starting to view it as a way of, you know, taming an insecurity or something or hiding one. <laughs> right. I mean, I would think that you're if you were closely looking at some of the marketing and really really getting to know how some of these companies work i would think that would be uh that you'd be more inclined to be like this cost them 50 cents yeah. <laughs> to make and i know it cost them 50 cents to make yep and it's very hard to justify but that, i mean that is interesting to me that for a while there was an uptick there in, was because well because i think i was just getting so exposed to it i was looking did at it you also time. were you also like well this is research so oh yeah you can always justify it that <laughs> way i was like which luxury researcher doesn't have luxury bags everywhere <laughs> this is what uh, you know like as a comedian this is how we get ourselves in trouble just in life because we're <laughs> we're we're like well, I'll get a bit out of it. You know, you, you can you, you <laughs> totally. throw yourself into just horrible situations. Be like, well, you know. Could but, be funny uh, later. Yeah. And usually that's like there's an intervention shortly after <laughs> that joke, quote unquote, joke writing process. Um, so so you've you've uh, peaked and now. Um, now it's less. Now it's well, less. Well, do you think it's also you have like a second child on the way and it's like. Oh, you start thinking mm -hmm. about things. Um, I think it is. I mean, I think one thing is I was really more interested in luxury when I had absolutely no money, which is when I was in grad school, because it felt so like it's like something I so wanted was to be able to have, you know, enough money to buy a fancy bag. And now that I probably have more access to it, it just doesn't feel as important. And other things do. So, yeah, like children my job right. <laughs> those things so how are you going to um so so your kids hit the, this horribly awkward <laughs> teenage no, years and, and, and then they want all of the um whatever the jabos of their generation <laughs> and, you know the overly all, pleated pants of their <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> these very very important things <laughs> Uh, what I mean, there's you have a long time to think about this it's between true. now and then. But uh, it, what what would you, um, what what would you say to, um, either a parent with a teenager or a teenager mm -hmm. that's like trying trying so desperately to identify with? Because I think from a parent's point of view, yeah. I mean, I do feel like, I mean, even looking back. I'm just like, I just wanted a pair of Air Jordans. Yeah. Mom, like, I would have been beat up so much less <laughs> if I just would have had a pair of Air Jordans. Why didn't you just pony up the little, <laughs> I know is $110, and that's not what sneakers should cost. Very but, true. Um, so, I mean, there's different ways of looking at it. I don't know if you enable children too much yeah. or find a balance. I don't think there's going to be a way where you can convince kids that they don't want the stuff that their friends have and their friends desire because it's a time when we're so desperate to fit in and that and the way we fit in oftentimes is with products and symbols and so or in my case just uh horrible like uh attention getting <laughs> techniques um, right techniques and <laughs> which were mostly just uh, had me running from the police for <laughs> several of my younger years exactly. until I had stand up as an outlet for like hey look at me everybody I'm cool and popular totally um, yeah so I don't think I think we're gonna you just want that stuff I do think that um, creating meaning in other ways is um, a way of at least mitigating some of the effects so um you know, focusing on other things that are ways of expressing self um, to other people that are still positively construed by the group. So 
you know, being involved in um, church or temple activities or volunteer work or other ways of kind of expressing positive signals about self and integrating into groups that have values that support those activities. Um, also, you know, I don't know. I think this like non-materialistic husband that I have, his parents, they just didn't make um, financial wealth the source of what was really great about another person. That's just not what they talk about. When somebody has money, they may or may not mention it. But I've always respected that about them. They really focus on other the people's other qualities, and I think it kind of just fil- filtered down to their children. It's so rather than me getting another Prada <laughs> shirt, I could I could maybe go and help out some uh, homeless, homeless children in, in Dallas <laughs> and and um, uh, find people there that would like me for being <laughs> for a good person and not for the shirt that I picked. Yeah, out. it's kind of an idealistic idea, but I, I tend to think it kind of works actually. When yeah. you throw yourself into other meaningful activities, those things just seem to take on less importance. Hmm. I've just been trying to, I, I think it's just um, because even charity can kind of be selfish in a way. You're trying to look at what a great person I yeah. am, but like what a great outlet for <laughs> yeah. that because he's still, you can't you be, it's like, it, yeah, you were doing a good thing. So sure, throw yourself a walk-a-thon or a parade or whatever. I don't know. I don't a know walk-a-thon. what walking for miles has to do with cancer, but you know, no it, it. Whatever, you're, you're helping out cancer research, go walking. Go do it. If that's it. what you have to do, throw yourself a parade. Um, so, um, yeah, so any any closing um, thoughts? I, we, we've already um, gone over this, but any... Uh, <laughs> I'm just like, uh, like, ah, oh, crap, I have to buy everyone gift cards this year. <laughs> you're a good card I, guy. I, I have... <laughs> I kind of want to tell you ideas for gifts that I have, but I think I'm releasing this before Christmas. I wouldn't want to spoil anything. Um, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of an example right now. I'm just going to ruin this, um, and and maybe I just won't buy it. But this is exactly like as 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 we're talking about all this. This is a gift idea that I had for my brother and this is meant as like a gag gift okay, kind of gag thing gag. and okay. i think he would really appreciate the humor in it i think his fiance <laughs> would maybe appreciate the humor but be like oh this is unnecessary <laughs> i found i found a game of thrones um thing that goes on your toilet Wow! Um, so it's like all these <laughs> swords up. and stuff, uh, like <laughs> that you put on top of your toilet, and I wouldn't expect them to actually put use it on, this. use it or anything. But now I'm just this jerk that got them a box that they have to stick in their closet yes. so that when I come to visit, they can they can put this dumb thing on their toilet (laughs) so they could be like, oh, we really appreciated this dumb thing that you did for us. It's so true. Um, That's like a gift that's all about thought and very little about... (laughs) (laughs) About what would actually make someone happy. Yeah, yeah. Although if you get just the right one, sometimes that can really leave a lasting impression. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All right. Well, I I have... I, I think just back to the drawing board is the lesson that I've learned. Mm. (laughs) Well, um, uh, thank you, Morgan, so much for hanging out with me and giving me all of this valuable uh, life advice just just in time for the holidays. And um, where can uh, people go to find your research? Oh, at um, smu.org edu which would be smu um is the university and you would look under the cox school of business awesome and i'll have a link on the website so go there and and find out more about gift giving and um all of the other uh wonderfully interesting things that we (laughs) talked about today thank you guys for listening to the here we are podcast that was episode two and i'm feeling so thankful right now with thanksgiving just around the corner I'm uh, I'm trying to do this podcast as a do-it-yourself sort of a thing, kind of a grass movements thing. I'm not selling any ads. I'm not. Uh, I don't want to be on a podcast network or whatever. I'm just trying to uh, do it solo. However, I had I have needed a bit of help along the way, and so I'm going to be um, thanking people at the end of uh, each episode for the next several episodes. And today, I would like to thank 
Ramin Nazer, who is a not only a hilarious comedian and good friend, but he um, developed my website, the Here We Are Podcast.com website. He also did the cover art um, for the podcast. And he's super funny, super talented guy. He has, if you go to his website, RameenNazer.com, um, you can uh, spend a lot of time having lots and lots of very different um, and fun forms of uh, entertainment. He does a bunch of animation. He does a bunch of comic strips that are incredibly addictive. Once you start reading them, you'll read them all. He has a book. He does music. Um videos he is a hilarious live stand-up comedian you can watch some of his um, stand-up clips and he has a, um, a cd out and all of that good stuff so go on to ramin nazer that's r-a-m-i-n-n-a-z-e-r.com and you can also follow him on Twitter and Facebook and all of that good stuff. He lives out in L.A. now, so if you're in that area, make sure and go out and see him live. And thank you guys so much. I'm trying to do this myself, so please, anything you can do to spread the word for me would be terrific. Go on the website, leave comments, questions, all that good stuff, and please share this with everyone you've ever met. Thank you. With no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Yunt. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicide thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. <laughs> suicide Buddies. <laughs> That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. He's Like, I mean, if you yeah. lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> 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 That's like literally what happened to Batman. <laughs> he literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a <laughs> bat. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a I don't know what you want from me. And uh, my, and my a, girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a I bat. Help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My. Uh, my <laughs> <laughs> 